long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You guys remember those movies? You know, so began probably three of the most popular films that ever emerged in the movie industry. Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. I remember back there in the, in the 80s, all three of them held audience in, in rap fascination of, of worlds beyond ours. Dolls and toys were made so children could go home and just continue living that, that fantasy of, uh, of you know, unknown worlds. I read about one child who was especially affected by these movies upon seeing an, a picture of her father, an old picture of her father in uniform. She asked him, Daddy, were you in the war? He replied, yes. And she said, wow, with, with which planet, you know? And uh, so it does, did affect them. Uh, perhaps, you know, we, we give the attention of science fiction uh, and, and that whole world so fascinates us because it gives us a desire to kind of get out of the rut we're in and see things in a different perspective. I always love the bumper sticker that that said, beat me up, Scotty, there's no intelligent life down here. And, you know, and sometimes that's what we kind of feel like. I read about astronaut James B. Irwin. He was sharing some of his most amazing moments during his moonwalk. And he said, the best part of all is seeing an earth rise. You see, everyone, all of us, we have seen a sunrise. But when you're on the moon, you see it from a different perspective. You see things from a different perspective. You see earth rises. You see earth sets. But alas, life is not lived in a movie theater. It's not lived on the moon. It's not lived in the fantasy world. Life is lived here and now, and not in the world of movies. And as we have been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, um, we've had a vivid picture painted for us of the kind of the futility of this life without God. If we're living for a physical life, if we're living for, you know, just this and our cars and our homes and our jobs and our toys and our, our entertainment, um, I think probably one of the good things that have come out of this COVID-19 and, and everything we've had to endure through this is um, it kind of gives us perspective about what's important in our life, what keeps our life going, what keeps it that gives it value. If you remember, Solomon has been on a journey. He was the, the king of Israel. He, lived, he reigned for 40 years. And during that 40 years, he had total peace. He didn't have to go to war. He had prosperity. His father, David, I was reading my devotions this past week about the wealth that his father, David, left him just for the temple. I mean, tons and tons of gold and of silver and of, of bronze. And he had all of this wealth. He had all of this peace, he had all of this time on his hand, and though he had wisdom, that didn't necessarily translate into obedience. And so he went on journeys to try to find out if there is anything in this life that can give us peace and give us satisfaction. And you remember the one word that keeps being repeated over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes? What was his conclusion? Vanity. Vanity came to the end of it and it doesn't say that hey these things don't give us a little pleasure for a moment a little pleasure for a time but in the end do they bring lasting satisfaction and the neat thing about the book of Ecclesiastes is there's no imaginary characters in this book 
What you're going to find, what we found in this book, is the inspired truth concerning life on this planet of someone who went through it, not just is philosophizing about, you know, what life is all about. And life under the sun was described as a chasing after the wind. You know, you, you can chase, you can chase, but you're never going to catch it. And you got to step back. At this point, we've had about four or five messages in Ecclesiastes. You have to, you have to wonder why it's like that. I mean, why is life this, this endless cycle and, and why this emptiness, why this vanity? Well, I think in the summary, we could probably say that God has planned it that way. If this life fulfilled us, if this life gave us purpose, why would we need to seek after a living God? So, so many things in this life come to vanity to cause us to, to look to God, to realize our need. Matter of fact, in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 25, you guys know this verse, it says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know why that is? You know why it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven? Because with wealth, we delude ourselves into thinking that we have life and we have purpose when we have things. And when a person doesn't sense that there's more than this to give us purpose and meaning, a, purpose will a person will never pursue after God. To put it bluntly, life on this planet Earth without God is literally, it's the pits. And God made it that way. I mean, with the fall of man, our, the original creation, he didn't make it that way. But when life, when, when sin entered into mankind and touched all of nature, touched all of our lives, he has made it that it will not bring satisfaction. He has placed within us that God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. And until he is there, there is no satisfaction. I mean, once he becomes there, suddenly these things take on all new meaning and all new purpose to us. But without him, there is emptiness. You know, I was thinking back in the 80s, I was thinking about Russia. And this is before communism fell in Russia. And I, you know, I was, I was about 25 years old in the mid 80s. And, and, you know, so much was being taught in Russia concerning atheism, that there is no God, that there is no purpose. And, and with that backdrop, the 84 Olympics came. And I don't know if you remember, I'm kind of dating myself once again. There was a Soviet athlete, a diver, who was, while he was diving off the 10 meter platform, he was doing a backward somersault and he hit his head on the platform. And ultimately, he died. And I remember thinking back there, you know, just imagining his parents sitting in a hospital room with their, with their son. I mean, he's in a coma, it doesn't look good for him. And he, they're totally helpless, hopeless. They have been taught their whole life, they have been indoctrinated that there's nothing else after here, after this life. No God to talk to, no comfort to go to, to a, a supreme being, not a single person to put their arm around and then tell them, you know, that God has a purpose, that it's not over. You see, life without God is vanity, emptiness on earth. Even if we outdo the next person, ultimately we all come to the same grave. And this is a fact that Solomon has discovered while he's been pursuing all of these worldly pleasures. Now we have come to 
one of those places. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 here. We've come to one of those places that, that Solomon, every once in a while on this journey, he interjects some words of rare wisdom for his readers. And we're going to be doing a little bit of backtracking, a couple verses, <coughs> excuse me, that we looked at last week. We're going to take those and we're going to move it uh, forward uh, just a little bit. Um, we're kind of at a pivotal point that takes us from one phase of Solomon's search to another. You know, into the picture, into his life, walks hope, a living God. And as God enters our lives, he gives us lenses that are able to gain a new perspective in life. And that's what David's, uh, that's what Solomon is getting here, a new perspective. So I'd like to read the verses for you, if you would. I'm going to begin in verse 11. It says, he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. So yet that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I, not, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. There's three things I want to talk to you from this passage about. Three things about God that are revealed here. Number one, what God makes. Number two, what God gives. And number three, what God does. Right? So let's start with what God makes. Verse 11, he says, he has made everything appropriate in its time. Depending on your translation, it might say God makes everything beautiful in its time. A sister verse to that would be in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And the key words in, in that verse there are they work together. It doesn't say all things that come from God are good. Everything is good. But he says all things are good as they work together for his purpose. All things are beautiful in his time. Now you may not think so. Or you may know someone who doesn't think so. You may live a hundred years in a situation, a dire situation that you are in never changes, never seems to change for beauty. Again, ours is a limited perspective. I've used this illustration so many times, but it's just like a, a fly if it would land on a Rembrandt, Rembrandt painting. And from the perspective of the fly, from where they could see, that's all they could see is blues and blacks and grays and, 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 and red and green. And you just see things in that color. But if, if that fly could step back, if it could see like the master, like Rembrandt, suddenly you would see a work of art. And our lives in God's hands are like that. God makes everything beautiful in his time. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good. And I don't want to shy away at all from that word that God uses in Ecclesiastes 3.11. That word everything. Everything in our life in God's hands. God ultimately brings about for his honor and glory. Your terminal illness. 
your financial dilemma, your, your heartache, everything. Without God, it is senseless. But with him, it ultimately can make sense. It can work towards his purpose, his sovereignty. It can work towards his glory. He makes all things beautiful in his time. He makes a second thing as well, though. The second part of verse 11, it says he makes everybody curious. We touched on this a little bit last week. It says he has also set eternity in the hearts of man. He has set eternity in their hearts. He, he gives us this eternal itch to try and, and to discover more, to think that there's more out there than, than, than just this. You know, that there's a greater purpose. You know, we hear that term used, you know, it's a dog's life. You know, and when we, when we say that, we're meaning, you know, eat, sleep, you know, play, same thing day in and day out. And a dog is satisfied with that life. An endless cycle. My, my dog never looks at me and says, can we do something different today? You know, is there anything new? God made animals like that, but man has been made different. He has placed eternity in the hearts. That there's something beyond this, you know, something that we're living right now. And we would, you know, soon become bored in the situation, you know, if that's how we live. I mean, think about... You know, this, this self-quarantines that we have right now. I mean, aren't we a little bit bored? I mean, you think, oh, that's great, you know, being home. And some of you that are, you know, working from home and, you know, you know, not having to go out. I'm here having my, you know, introvert friends saying, and I'm an introvert and this is driving me crazy. I mean, it does. We're not made for that. We're made to get out, to explore. God has put that into our hearts. He has made us curious for a reason. So that our curiosity might cause us to seek after God. You know, I think it, you know, and I don't want to minimize anything anybody is going through. But if we would think life about life as kind of going through a maze. Yeah, yeah if you've ever been to a corn maze before. And, and you kind of work your way through it. And you hit a lot of dead ends. And you hit a lot of places where, ah, it's very frustrating. You, know, you got to turn around and you got to go back. You know, there's a lot of disappointments in a maze of wrong turns that you take. But then you take a few right turns and, and God leads you and God shapes you to get you to the end. And God allows this pain, God allows this evil in the world to block, block off certain areas and to lead us to our only hope to that end. And that is Jesus Christ, to lead us to our creator. God has given us a curiosity to find him. And if it gets vain enough on earth or bad enough, we will begin to look elsewhere and to look prayerfully to God. God makes everything beautiful and he makes us curious to know more. Let's move on to the second thing. What God gives, what, what does God give us? Verse 12 and verse 13. He says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is a gift of God. God gives us the ability to rejoice and to enjoy life. This is a gift from him. I haven't known too many people that totally deny God, that claim to be atheists. 
But the few people that I have known, you know, they're not happy. I mean, there's, there's a bitterness about their life. There's a hatred in their life. Why? Because God, God alone gives perspective to sustain joy in this life. Even amongst the pain and the, the dead ends that we hit in our life. Regardless of the situation, only God can give us that perspective. In fact, this uh, past week, I read about a man uh, who ultimately gave his business to God. He said for years and for years, it was his business. And he wrestled with it. He knew he needed to give it to God. And so he wrestled with it and he struggled and, and he fought and the ups and downs of business and he held on tightly to it. Finally, he said one Sunday while driving home from church, he said, that's enough, God. I give my business to you. That night, his place of business caught fire. And he arrived at the fire and he's met by, by one of his you know, colleagues. He says, he says, I don't know what's happening. You know, it's all burning up. And the man said, I know. He said, no problem. He said, this morning I gave this company to God and if he wants to burn it up, then that's his business. Can you imagine if God hadn't given him that transition, if his whole life had been wrapped up in his business, if that is all that he had, if that was his meaning and purpose in, his, in this life, and in that moment it was gone? See, God helps to give us perspective. You know, a dead end we might hit in a maze is causing us to backtrack and seek something even greater. It is God who gives that perspective of joy, even in the worst situations. And that's a gift that he gives us. The second gift that God gives us, and I'm, when I say that, that God gives us these, I'm talking about a, a believer in Jesus Christ, not that we're born necessarily with this, not until a person comes to God who seeks God. The second gift he gives us is the ability to do good in our lifetime. Verse 12. He says, I know that there is nothing better than for them to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. I mean, think about it today. So much in this world today is kind of a two-way exchange. You know, I'll do something for you if you'll do something for me. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of one-way exchanges that people just do good for, for, you know, for no purpose whatsoever. But then we come to Christ, and Christ gives us this ability. I have seen so many acts over the last six weeks of people doing this. Because, you know, in this environment that we live, there, there's not a lot that people can repay if you do something or you reach out to them. or I mean, it, it, it's difficult. And I have seen so many people, you know, do something for the sake of doing something. God gives us that ability to do that, not expecting anything back. He's given us this ability to do good in our lifetime, whether or not others will return the favor to us. And let me urge you not to, to wait to do this. I want to encourage you to continue to do this. You know, we're not going to be any good to anybody when we're dead and we're in the grave. God has given us this ability right now. He has given us this time. He has raised up the body of Christ. He has raised this church family up for just a time as this. To be in one another's lives. To see us through this. And so don't wait. If God you know, gives it on your heart to, to reach out to somebody, to call to some, someone, you know, encourage them, check on them, see how they're doing. 
I've had people, I know one, one in our congregation I talked to a week or so ago. He says every single day, he's praying for every single one of you. Every single day. He's praying for every, every single one of you are lifted up in prayer. You know, by, by at, least, at least one person every day. You know, we're praying through the church families and, you know, kind of rotating them and everything. But, but for someone to give that, that's a, that's a gift. With, with nothing in return, God gives us that ability. And the key ingredient is God. Before he's in our hearts, you know, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 50, 64, he says, all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. You know, without God, they're, they're, it's, it's meaningless, but with God. He gives us that ability to do good. And there's one final thing that God gives us. He gives us the ability to see good in all of our labor. Uh, verse 13. He says, Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. And catch this. It is the gift of God. It is a gift that God has given you. To be able to, whatever your occupation... Whatever your pay scale is, he gives you the ability to find joy in the, in the midst of the situation. To see good in all of our labor. That somehow, you know, me getting up and going, whether I'm working in an office, whether I'm working in a factory, whether I'm on the road, whatever it is, that there is a purpose for this. It's not just meaningless to try to make money, to pay bills, to make more money, to pay more bills, and that endless cycle. God gives us a... a, a a purpose <clears throat> under the sun perspective says you know i earn what i get i have to claw for everything i get but when we have an above the sun perspective it says we get something that we don't deserve god gives us he gives us joy he gives us forgiveness he gives us eternal life he gives us grace hope life beyond the grave god gives us a reason to go on so regardless of what our work is where we're stay at home you know, parents or, 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 or going out to a, a factory. God can give us a reason to go on a purpose in our labor. And this is quite a difference from Solomon's humanistic viewpoint. Remember last week, just a couple verses earlier, he said, what profit is there to, to the worker from that which in which he toils? I have seen the task which God had given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. I mean, under the sun, he says, what, what's the difference? And all that I do, all the extra hours I put in, the overtime, the sacrifices I make, he says that it's a heavy toil, it's a burden. That was an under the sun perspective. Solomon has moved now, you know, he sees God in the midst of it. And he sees it is a gift, something that God gives each and every one of us. Well, we've heard what God makes. God makes all things beautiful. He makes us curious to know that there is more, that, that he is there. We've discovered what God gives us. He gives us the ability to rejoice, the capacity to do good. He gives us purpose in this life. Now, real quickly, let's, let's talk about what God does. What does God do? Uh, verse 14. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. 
Okay, the first two things Solomon mentions emphasize the quality of what God does, his actions. He, he says, God's work is permanent, it endures. He says, it will, may, it will remain forever. The work that God is doing, it's not shallow, it's not superficial. He doesn't glue a thin layer of veneer, you know, slaps it on some wood. No, his, his work is solid through and through. It is whole. It'll be there here tomorrow. It'll be here for all of eternity, the work that God is doing. He says, not only is it permanent, not only does it endure, but it is complete. He says, there is nothing to be added. There is nothing missing in it. We are not going to get, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not going to get to the end. When you die and you stand before God and eternity is open before you, you're not going to get to the end and you're going to say, this is it? <laughs> this is what I gave my life to? This is what I made the sacrifices for? You know, this is what I, I suffered. It, it's not going to be, it is complete. God is thorough. God is complete in what he gives us. And the last thing God does is he performs things that cultivate a respect for him. He is working in our life to, in a permanent, a complete way, in a way to get us to have a reverence for him. He says in the last part of verse 14, <clears throat> for God has so worked that men should fear him or revere him. I mean, think about it. I've never seen Mount Everest. I've seen pictures of it, but I can't imagine somebody standing at the foot of Mount Everest and, and looking up at this mountain and saying, hmm, well, that's a nice hill. Or, or, you know, I've been on some glaciers in Alaska. And I mean, they are just massive. I've been in an airplane over, flying over them, actually landed on one of the glaciers. And you don't get out and you say, well, this is pretty nice. You know, you don't stand at the mouth of the Grand Canyon and you look at it and, you know, without shaking your head in wonder at the, the, the grandeur of the creator, the grandeur of, of creation. These are things that man can't build. And to stand and to see God in all of his glory is to bring a, a reverence of, of who God is, what he has done. You know, God did these things that we might stand in awe and have a sovereign fear of our creator, of who God is. Now, there's two quick points I, I want to leave us with. Two quick points. Number one, life from God outside of this gap, come, excuse me, life from God comes from outside of this world. It comes above the sun. It doesn't come from within it. I hear philosophies out there, you know, the worldly philosophies, you know, there's a little bit of God in everybody. And, and that is simply not true. You can speak whatever you want of human greatness, positive thinking, self-help, self-efforts. And we can certainly appreciate some things that men have done, but the only place that we can find life, true life, is at its source. And that comes through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way. Jesus says, I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 10, 28, I give eternal life to them, Jesus says, and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. 
God gives real life. And that real life comes through his son, Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through good works. It doesn't come through books. It doesn't come through positive thinking. It doesn't come through education. All of those things are fine. All of those things are good. But real life is not within us. Real life comes above the sun. In God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Life from God comes from outside this galaxy, not from within it. Second thing. Life from God is power now. It is ability now to have a purpose in this life, to have meaning in this life. It's not something that we read about in the past that we study in our Bibles and, and we have our devotions and, 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 you know, we talk about the past and then, you know, we get to revelations and all the prophecies and, okay, in the future this is going to happen, you know, but for now we're just kind of here. Life from God is power now. It is ability now. And God wants to be a part of that, your life, right now. The wonderful news is that God gives his power to anyone who comes to him. Anyone who asks him for that power, for that relationship, for that purpose, he gives it to us. He gives it to us when we come to him and we say we are sinners, we are broken, we need, to be, we need a savior. We need something outside of ourselves to pay the penalty for our sins. And we recognize that that's what God did in his son, Jesus Christ. He gave his life for each and every one of us, that we could know him, that we could know purpose and meaning. When we accept Christ, we have the ability to give the dark, meaningless life purpose. He gives us purpose. And I emphasize he gives us the ability to do that. God doesn't force it on you. Even if you're a Christian and you've accepted the Lord, and boy, you were all excited for the first years and you kind of hit some dull drums right now, God doesn't force himself upon you. It is those who open up their lives to him that God transforms. He gives that ability. He turns that ability into a reality in your life. So I think for us, you know, as we get to this point in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's time for us to pause and consider our own lives. Next to the life that God is offering. I mean, that is why this is an inspired word of God. That is why God has led Solomon to, to honestly open up his heart into this journey. And has breathed into him this truth. He is contrasting physical life with eternal life. And which one of those are we living for? Which one of those are the heartbeat of our life? You know, that, that infuse every single thing that we do. Is it what this life will give us? Or is it what the life that God promises will give us? Does our life have meaning, real meaning? Is there purpose? Is there power? Solomon says, God is our answer. Let's pray together. My Father God, I, I thank you for these words that you have given, these truths. And I thank you when we stand on your, your, your truth. You open up the Bible, Lord, we have a solid foundation. And I thank you, God, that as we open up our hearts to you here today, maybe even just step back. I, I step back in my life and evaluate, you know, how maybe some areas that I've gotten off, my eyes off of you. 
and help me to, to get those back on, to surrender those things to you. You are complete. You are thorough, Lord. And what is done for you, Father, will endure, and I thank you. On behalf of brother, my brothers and sisters in Christ that know you here, Father, I just, I just say that I'm so looking forward to standing face to face with you. Father, when, when suddenly we see things that we've never seen, we experience things like we've never seen them before. You know, when the scales of our eyes are lifted and we see eternity in all of its glory, that is beyond what I can comprehend or imagine. But Father, that is something that I can live for, that I can persevere towards. I pray for your strength, for your help in this walk. For my brothers and sisters, Lord, you know where each and every one of us are today and there are need that we have. I pray that you will challenge us, help, help these words not to go in one ear, out the other, Lord. I pray for myself even that, that later today, throughout this week, that you will bring that conviction into those areas, Lord, those dead ends that I'm, I'm, I'm running into, areas that you want me to double back and find you, find the right way. Thank you, Lord. In the sun's name, Amen.